Please pray with me. Holy God, we pray this morning that you will open our hearts and our minds to the bright light of Jesus Christ and give us the courage to rise from our dark corners to follow him more nearly. Take these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and make them acceptable to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. I grew up stargazing. My dad was a stargazer and his father before him, or a magus as they were called in Persia back then, and he taught me everything he knew. Of course, in those days, it was much easier to see the stars than it is for you today, what with your enormous cities and electric lights and smog and so forth. Back then, the night skies were as clean and clear as could be, and once you knew what you were looking for, well, everything was as bright and evident as daylight. I'd spent my whole life studying the skies with other scholars, charting the movements of the constellations and comets across the sky. Let me tell you, there are sights to behold. A myriad number of heavenly bodies that move with such delicacy and precision, a veritable ballet that unfolds constantly in the heavens, dancing to a celestial music that I swear you can hear if you'll be still long enough to listen. It may seem like black magic to some, but I've lived long enough to know that mystery and wonder are all around us, pointing always to the presence of the divine. If we would only open our hearts and our minds and our eyes wide enough to see. I tell you, the truth of God is as bright and certain and enduring as, well, as the stars above your head. I learned this in a very special way, one particularly cold winter a long time ago. All of us had been tracking an unusual configuration that we could see developing just above the horizon. It was something none of us had ever seen or read about before, and none of our fathers had taught us about it. So we knew that this was something unique, extraordinary, very important. From where I was sitting, it looked for all the world as though Jupiter, which is the planet of royalty, was joined together with Saturn. That's the planet of the Jews. The portent seemed clear enough to us. The long-awaited king of the Jews was coming into the world. We all knew of the ancient Jewish prophecy of the Messiah, and so we were glued to the sky as those planets looked as though they were on a collision course. As they neared each other, each one seemed to grow brighter and brighter in the dark night until together they formed this enormous beam of light that was hypnotic. It was so bright, even the sun couldn't blot it out during the day. Well, I knew right away that we had to go. We had to discover what this meant for us, for our lives, for our families, for our world. <laughs> yes, the world was just as crazy then as it is now with ambitious rulers declaring wars on neighbors, with just as much greed and grasping, self-indulgence and idolatry. The world was groaning then, just like today, with injustice and struggle. And we were all looking for a savior, some source of hope, a light in the darkness. And when I saw that star, that glittering, glowing spotlight just hanging there in the sky, it beckoned to me. 
I felt this powerful urge to just get up and follow it. That star put me in touch with the deep yearning inside that I think all of us experience eventually. That deep ache that for all our efforts can never be filled with power or stuff or food or fame or fortune. It's that great yawning gap inside of us that is somehow heart-shaped and God-sized. Anyway, it was time to hit the road and I did not want to go alone, but I can tell you it took some persuading to get the others to come with me. And it seems obvious to me that if we want to make discoveries that are bigger than ourselves, we have to step outside of our comfort zone, venture forth, take a risk. Sad truth of it is though, that all many of us say we'd like to see the seven wonders of the world. We'd really prefer to stay at home warm and safe and in full control of our surroundings. We are afraid of the discomfort of bumpy roads and unfamiliar food and strange languages. We are afraid we might lose our luggage in Lesotho or get stranded on the runway in Reykjavik. And so we stay home and watch the cha travel channel instead. And sometimes we actually believe it's better than the real thing. Or still, we convince ourselves that we are just fine where we are, thank you very much, perfectly self-satisfied, and unwilling to acknowledge that we need to explore, expand, grow, change. Someone once said that all of life is change and that which is not changing is already dead. And so I ask you, my friends, how can we rise with this shining new star to the sense of challenge and adventure and invitation that it holds out to us? Much as I respected and loved my companions in stargazing, I realized that too many of us were just looking for affirmations of what we already believed. Answers that had readily arranged themselves neatly into the boxes of our own construction. Too many of us were afraid to encounter different answers or different questions. But eventually, after various means of reasoning, persuading, arguing with and embarrassing my friends, we all set out together Magi and assistants, instruments for searching the heavens, guidebooks and maps and provisions for the journey, all loaded on a string of grouchy camels. And off we went along the trade route that meanders up the river and over the mountain pass and across the desert to the sea, and then south through the scrublands of Palestine. It was by no means an easy journey, and all the fears of my companions were realized in hostile cities and glaring customs officials and uncomfortable beds, rocky roads, and those stubborn, spitting camels. And of course, the people we met along the way, who laughed in our faces at our quest, they thought we were crazy, deluded, wandering through the cold winter in search of the hope of all the ages. <clears throat> at some point or other along the route, we all thought we were crazy too, wondering what in the world we were doing out there. And yet, something in the journey itself was as precious as it was precarious. You know, in hindsight, it seems that having our normal routine completely disrupted was essential. When we were farthest away from all that was familiar to us, we had to let go of our preconceived notions and prejudices. 
we were shaken out of our complacencies into curiosity and openness and wonderment. When we left behind the old familiar territory, the way things used to be, it's true, we lost our bearings for a while, lost something of ourselves. But perhaps that was exactly what is necessary for us to encounter who we really are. We continued to follow the star and we were eager to get there, but it became clear to everyone that maybe this journey of faith was just as important as the destination. We rode into Jerusalem at about 1.30 on a Thursday afternoon. We went to Jerusalem, of course. Where else would you look for the king of the Jews? But no one in town knew anything about it. We felt kind of silly, inquiring among the Jews for their king, because they certainly weren't looking for him. Go see Herod, they said. If a new king has been born, it must be his son. May God have mercy on his soul. To say it was a weird encounter is an understatement. Herod didn't want to say very much, that was clear. But all of us noticed how he paled at our inquiry. And then he called for the priests and the scholars from the temple and a few astrologers of his own thrown in for good measure. It was certainly odd. We thought surely the religious leaders would be the most excited and expectant for the birth of their Messiah. But to our astonishment, they seemed indifferent or even alarmed at the news. Maybe they were no longer expecting God to move amongst them. Or maybe they were so closely aligned with the political powers that be that they wanted to make sure nobody rocked the boat. They did confirm the ancient prophecy and pointed us in the direction of Bethlehem, but no one offered to join us. Perhaps they were too certain that their Messiah couldn't possibly be calling outsiders. Herod sent us on our way but we knew things weren't right. We felt so stupid, certain now that we made a terrible mistake. We had just tipped off the king that his rival had been born for heaven's sake. Wise men, indeed. Mm. Our hearts were heavy inside of us. Human jealousy and fear and the specter of death had cast their shadow on our journey. But all of them together weren't enough to overcome that star that was still as bright as ever and so full of promise and we'd come so far. So we swung back into our camels and glumped on down the road to Bethlehem. The day was nearly spent when we came over the brow of the hill. The village lay spread out before us in the valley and there, so close, it seemed we could touch it, hung this glorious shining light in the evening sky. All the saddle soreness and travel fatigue just vanished. We kicked those stupid camels into their sullen trot down the hill and pulled up at this small, simple house that looked for all the world like just the others, except it wasn't somehow. And then all of a sudden, we didn't know what to do. We hobbled the camels and then gathered around the door like a gaggle of geese, no one really wanting to go first. But this whole thing was my idea, and so they pushed me to the door, and I lifted my fist to knock, but I, I couldn't. For a moment, I was afraid. What were we expecting? What would we discover? And why had we come, after all? Well, 
As I was standing there, paralyzed with uncertainty, my fellow pilgrims jostling behind me pushed me into the door, and without any ceremony at all, we all just tumbled into the room to the astonishment and alarm of a young woman, a very young woman. And in her arms was this baby. Well, of course it was a baby. We knew the star was a birth omen, but I don't know what we were expecting. Not this little baby, just like all the other babies you've ever seen. All the commotion and noise of our wild arrival disturbed him. And just like any other baby, he screwed up his little face and screamed. And I don't know who was more shocked, mother, baby, or this entourage of scholars whose pomp and circumstance had certainly been yanked out from underneath us. You know, I could never have understood this before our pilgrimage. But suddenly, somehow, in all the hubbub and strangeness and incongruity of it all, I caught an epiphany, a sudden flash of inspiration that this is indeed how God works, appearing as and when and where we least expect him, wrapped in the garb of the humble and simple, so vulnerable and insignificant, yet even so causing powers and authorities of the world to tremble and calling first to the stranger, the one who stands outside the door. I felt as though the breath had been knocked out of me. And although everything looked as normal as it could be, it seemed to me that the room was suddenly full of light and my head was full of heavenly music. All I could do was fall on my knees and worship. We all did together. And it was worship like we've never worshiped before. All the requests and requirements we used to bring to our gods back home seemed silly and unnecessary. Instead, together, like one body, we raised our hearts and sang praise to God that the light has shone in the darkness and the darkness shall never overcome it. We left our gifts there. Yes, the ones you've heard about, the gold and frankincense and myrrh. But as I laid them at the feet of that mother and child, I realized that costly as they seemed at first, they were insufficient. I realized they were just tokens, placeholders, symbols for all I could really give him was my heart, my life, myself. Another epiphany, as again I recognize the way God works in the world. That which he wants from you, he's already placed inside of you. All too soon it was time to go, time to get back on those camels. <laughs> Boy, we did not want to leave. There was something so indescribable about our time in Bethlehem. Such a deep abiding peace and a resounding life-giving joy, an unquenchable flame of hope. It was sacred. We knew we had to go, but we also knew the impossibility of returning to the way things were. Certainly we'd been changed in this small house. We'd crossed over a threshold where mother and child made room for us. But just as certainly as we had been changed on the journey, on the road, reoriented and redirected by a savior who had guided us every step of the way, 
and transformed us from people who thought we knew it all into people willing to risk it all, to follow him anywhere. We thought meeting the child marked the end of the journey, but it turns out it was only the beginning. And so we returned home, walking in an entirely different way.